Hey, welcome everybody to the Dharmic Evolution. I'm your host, James Kevin O'Connor, singer-songwriter, audio-video artist, and master storyteller. Today I have Don Sternecker, a dear old friend, um, owner of Mixolydian Recording Studios in northern New Jersey, and Don has probably more experience in a recording studio than anybody I know, and I've been doing my thing for a while. So if you want to hear about Peter Gabriel, Mick Jagger, Billy Joel, Cindy Lauper, Railroad Earth, and many others, we'll just tighten up your seatbelts and let's go for a ride. Okay, so today I am delighted to have with us on the Dharmic Evolution Don Sternecker. Now, Don has had a recording studio for as long as I can remember meeting him. Way back when, I came into his studio as an electrician and wired up some air conditioners, I think, and I said, what is going on here? A recording studio. This is cool. Don, welcome to the Dharmic Evolution. Hi, how you doing? Good, man. Good to have you here today. So listen, I want to jump right into, you have such a legacy of, of great performers, entertainers, recording artists coming through your studio. The, the, the list is, um, as well as local people, a lot of big stars. So let's start at the beginning. When did music start for you? How did it all begin way back when? When the Beatles came to America in 1964, I saw them on the Ed Sullivan show and I was hooked. I remember making a guitar and drawing strings on it out of a piece of wood and I wanted to be a guitar player. That seems to be like a, a, a common theme. I've heard that a lot. The Beatles, they, they didn't really inspire anybody, did they? No, <laughs> no. So, They're hacks. So, yeah, so you, so you got hooked with the uh, British invasion. So after that happened, what, what was the first instrument? Because I know you as a piano player. I never even knew you as a guitar player. But um, tell me what, how it all began with that. Well, I played clarinet in school. And then when I got a little older in high school, I started playing guitar and piano. Um, Wasn't that great a guitar player, but I played piano more. And then when I graduated high school, I uh, went to uh, college. I went to a college in New Jersey called Drew University in Madison, and I I majored in music. So I took all yeah, I took all sorts of class. You know. I took, uh, you know, composition classes, whatever class they had, I did. Okay, so wh- wh- when did the piano come into your life? When I was in high school, maybe around 15, 16 years old. Okay, because when I met you, I remember, like, I got so hooked on the idea of a recording studio. And I was just beginning my very, very uh, humble music career at, at that point and was writing some songs and... Uh, got hooked on the guitar, and I'd met George Barker, and George was kind enough to give me a few lessons. Then I wandered into your studio, and you were playing, I believe, progressive rock, and you had a couple of bands, and man, you were like the Keith Emerson of the day with those racks of keyboards, the mini Moog, you had the Prophet, you had all these cool, awesome uh, keyboards, and um, tell us about that that whole situation. Well, when you the first time you met me, I had a Hammond uh, 102, I had an Arp String Ensemble, a Mini Moog, an Electricomp 101 synthesizer, which was made in Connecticut, a really cool synth. I had a Fender Rhodes and an RMI electric piano. I had like a, I think I had like three 
they were layered in three, like they're two on my side and one on the front. Yeah, you were surrounded. I remember, I'm like, how does he get back there? And he left like one little exit behind him to get to get into this huge bank of keyboards. I loved and, all uh, that stuff. Yeah, it was it was really, uh, and I remember you guys having these intense jam sessions. I came to a couple of those where you had some great players. Peter Adelman, for one, I remember Peter being in uh, in your band. I can't remember the name of the band. Yada, yada. Yada, yada, yeah. <laughs> and, and some great stuff. So your early influences, tell me, who were your musical heroes? Who did you listen to that, that kind of inspired you in, in the early days? Uh, well, I liked all the classic rock bands, the Beatles, the Stones, the Who. Um, and I was really into progressive rock. So I loved Genesis. I loved uh, ELP, were big. I was a big fan of. Yes, all those type of bands, Gentle Giant. Yeah, yeah so I that's went to where see him a lot. Like that, you know, went. Far, I still like him. Yeah, that's where our, our commonality came in because I, I was listening to all the same same things. Like I, I just adored the Who and and all of those guys you just mentioned. So those type of bands really um, uh, inspired you, influenced you, and you guys. You were writing stuff at the time with Yada Yada. You had some really interesting and great songs, um, and I I think. If, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys were an instrumental band because I rem- I can't remember if you had a singer or not. We had a singer on and off. But on we and always off. tried to have. If we weren't a singer, then we were instrumental. It was it was heavily <laughs> weighted in musical activity more so than uh, than than the singer as as I remember. But it was great a great time. So let's talk about the studio. I mean, when did it occur to you that like as you're going through your musical life, hey. I want to have my own studio. When did that hit you that you decided to just go ahead and do this? Well, um, while I was going to Drew, I, uh, I had a professor, and he was going to buy a four-track tape recorder for the, for the college. And uh, he had a friend, and we were getting a good price, so I bought one too, and I started to get into recording. Um, back then in 19... I graduated in 75, Back then, in '75, there were no college, no college in America taught any recording courses. So, uh, let me lead up to that. So, when I graduated, I actually graduated in three years. I did like two years worth of credits in one year, and I graduated with honors. So, I did the sensible thing. I went to on-campus interviews with all sorts of places, mainly stores and stuff like Stearns and Macy's, and to be buyer, you know. Everyone turned me down. And the, the best part was I went for an interview with Woolworths. So you were going there for a job, basically. I was Well, I was taking on-campus interviews. Oh, gotcha. Okay. In, co- in college. Right. So the last one I went to was for Woolworths. Right. As a manager at a Woolworth. And uh, they turned me down, too. So after that, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I was always thinking of making a studio. So I started the studio. What I, you know. That's what I did. So I started the studio. I thought I knew what I was doing. I quickly learned there was a lot of things I didn't know, but it was hard because there were no magazines back there. There was no internet. There were no courses. So you kind of were scuffling to try to learn. So nobody wanted you. So you decided, all right, the hell with everybody. I'm just going to do my own thing. I just decided to do it, and you just yeah. went and do it. The yeah. hell with yeah. him. <laughs> and, I re- and maybe that's what I wanted to do anyway, because when I got that letter of rejection from Woolworths, because this guy was telling me, well, you know, you're going to have to clean friolators and get in and clean grease out. And I'm thinking, I did that in high school working at Howard Johnson, so I'm not doing this now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember when I came into your studio, you were set up with an 8-track, an 8-track reel-to-reel. 
And I'm like, wow, man, that is like you can record eight whole tracks like individually. I mean, it was that an Atari was, MX5050. Yeah. One of the first ones in America. I remember I remember that thing and I said, like, wow, this is this is really the, the big the big time here, you know. And I think you had a, I don't know what the mixer was, but it was certainly. I had two little Tascam Model 5s. Yeah. Like so they way were like, back in time. They were like Siamese together, I guess, to, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but it was like I remember shortly after that I came in and did my first session and I thought what a rush I mean I think I was playing with uh Welton Barker and and Jordy actually came in Jordy Namada on uh drums and we we had a ball so Mixolydian gets kicked off so now the next challenge is how do you get clients so how did that all start with you you know you got the studio up and running you had a you had a nice space there in Madison I remember and the next challenge was just word of mouth. How did you get people well, to come in? It was a long road because, um, you know, to build a studio, you got to borrow money to get good equipment. You know, the better equipment you have, the more chance of getting clients. And, you you know, you're a young kid with long hair and you're not going to go, you know, I tried getting loans, but it was really hard. So for the first, I would say maybe eight, nine, ten years I always had another job. The, the studio, I would do the studio, and I mainly worked for my dad. He had a hat importing business, so I helped him out. And the hours were kind of loose as long as I got the work done. Right. So, and then eventually I was able to, um, you know, get money and upgrade. I kept upgrading from 8-track to 16-track, 16 to 24. And then you have like a lifelong quest of getting beautiful sounding gear. Right. Which never ends, right? <laughs> no, a lot of what, you know, I waited. I would always buy really, like, I always invest in a Neve preamps and really good microphones. And 30 years later, over 30 years later, I'm still using them every day because they're great. They yeah. sound fantastic. Well, that's one of the amazing things about about equipment. It, you know, it's like, it, it's been said that uh, you take a new drum kit out and the first time you hit it, it drops 30%, just like a new car. But uh, a guitar or a microphone or a classic like high end gear like that seems to appreciate in value, which is which is such a great investment as you as you hang on to that equipment and keep it in good shape. Well, you get what you pay for, you know. Like if yeah. you get something, if you put a, if you say, if you wait and you get something really good, it's worth it because it'll stay with you for a long time. Yeah, it'll, and it'll always, even if you want to get rid of it, it'll still have some value in it. Yeah, you you have an arsenal of great microphones, and you know anybody who's thinking of recording at Don's studio, I mean, uh, just give us a couple of the brands that you have. Some of the classics, Don. Oh, I have a big rack of uh, Neve preamps mainly. That's what I, I have about twenty something of them. And a lot of them are focus rights, which I really like the focus right knees, which are the ones he made in the early and early to mid eighties. Right. And I, uh, you know, at this point you've I've had them all recapped and rebuilt and but they sound fantastic. And then my mic collection I have a lot of Neumanns, AKGs, all the classic mics. I probably have about forty of them. So, you know, wow. they're like all tools in your tool shed. You take them out when you need them. Yeah. Hey, your favorite style of music, we talked about, um, you know, the type that you grew up on, the classic rock and all of that. For, like nowadays, like when you're on downtime and you're not working, you just listening to music for, just for the chill factor. What do you listen to? Like what's your favorite stuff to just kind of decompress and listen to? Like, what do oh, you like? I, I'm all classical, Sinatra, Gershwin, uh, any kind of rock, um, jazz, 
Um, my new studio is uh, in uh, Delaware Water Gap, and it's, I've moved three or four times since Madison. Right. And it's right across the street. I'm fortunate enough to be right across the street from the oldest jazz club in America called the Deer Head Inn. And it's a fabulous, funky club with a lot of character and amazing players there. On any night you go, there are really top-notch jazz players there. So that's a treat for me. Do they have music every night? They, uh, it's Thursday through Sunday. Okay. Yeah, let's check that out. The Deer Head Inn up by the Delaware Water Gap in New Jersey. Cool. So you're across the street from there. And, and what's, what's the like address, like where you are? Uh, 20 Delaware Avenue, Delaware okay. Water Gap. Okay. So you like PA. To, okay. Oh, it's in PA. It's in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's on the other side of the, the bridge. Um, so, Literally on the other side of the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> you, you go through the, tur- the toll booth and you're right there. Yeah. <laughs> so give me the plans for Mixolydian 2015 moving forward. Like, what are you working on these days? Like, what are you hoping to, to accomplish with, uh, you, you know, your newest location and, you know, who you're working with these days? Well, maybe I should backtrack a little bit. You know, I started in Madison, then I moved to a town called Booton, and I had a fairly large studio, and I was there about 15 years. And then I moved to um, my dream studio, which is out in Lafayette, New Jersey. And that was a uh, 4,000-square-foot building with an apartment above the studio and on eight acres it was like a living studio that was nice. so you could have bands come for a week or two and they stayed there i had a very large tracking room and a control room which i built perfect so it was like totally flat everything sounded great in it but unfortunately the music business has changed over the last 15 years with the internet everybody's downloading music and not paying for it right so it's hard to sell music extremely hard to sell music as a uh, as a product right you know and uh, it changed the whole industry so um, my business kept getting less and less so eventually about eight years ago I started working full-time as a music therapist at a uh, psych hospital a state psych hospital in New Jersey called Greystone okay so um, about three years ago I finally sold my big studio in Lafayette and I moved to a much smaller place because I just do the studio part-time Partly because it's good therapy for me. I, I've been doing it all my life. I love doing it. I love hanging out with musicians and being part of the creative team. And it's a lot of fun for me. So I didn't quite want to give it up. So I, I found a little smaller footprint. And I'm in a really cool building that has uh, Tim Carbone from uh, Railroad Earth Band. It's a big bluegrass jam band in the country yeah he has a couple rooms down the hall from me so we do a lot of work together and we've kind of taken over the third floor of this building it used to be an old hotel built about a hundred years ago okay so uh uh you know it's like i'm trying to reinvent myself and just keep my feet you know in the water okay so so you're doing that now so so you're also a music therapist at graystone and you, you also mentioned to me that you have a, a TV show, is that right, with Greystone? Or well, some kind of- when I started at the, it was actually a very humbling experience because I'm coming from the studio where I did all my life. I was good at it. I knew what I was doing, and I was my boss. Right. <laughs> I owned the yeah. business. Suddenly, I'm a state worker, and there's a lot of state workers there that are, you know, they're lazy. They don't work hard. It was very, and I didn't know what I was doing. Right. So I had to learn how to sing, 
and learn how to play guitar again because I have to sing with, you know, in groups I sing with the patients. I make elaborate songbooks with the pictures and the chords and the, and the, uh, and the lyrics. And uh, my friends would say, tell me, ask me, you're singing? I'm playing right. guitar, and I said, "Yeah, but I have a captive audience." Right, <laughs> literally, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I also uh, eventually I was able to uh, build a little recording studio there, and I do um, I do groups with a lot of patients like to rap or write songs. So I help them write their songs and then record them, and it's very therapeutic because they, you know, when I do something creative and they can walk out with a CD. Right. They feel great. And of course, I, I have 45-minute groups, so I'm working super fast. Not like right. in a studio, you don't work that fast. You can work right. a little slower, yeah. <laughs> sometimes very slow. But that, So you it, said you built a studio, a studio, so you built one at the hospital. Yeah, Is they right? gave me a wow. little room. They gave me oh, a little room. Nice. It's not acoustically correct, but right. I'll take what I can get. Yeah, for sure. And I had a little Pro Tools system, and I have, a few Mac, I have three Macs in a room. And then eventually they wanted to do a... Um, they had an idea about doing a TV show with the patients. Now, we have to be very careful with TV show because you have privacy issues and laws. But we only show it in the hospital, and the patients sign a waiver that they, they, we can use their image for that one episode. But um, they asked me, can you do this? And, of course, I said yes, and I never edited video in my life. Right. Uh, but you can learn pretty quick. Yeah, and you I use Final Cut. I use or, Final Cut, and yeah. the best thing about when you buy Apple products for a hundred dollars a year, you can get unlimited one-on-one, one-hour um, help sessions. Right. So I would just have a list of questions, book it one hour, go down there. How do you do this? How do you do that? And they're, the Apple people are very helpful. And, yeah. Uh, it's a great program. I think you use it yourself. So we yeah. do a little TV show. I have a little green screen there. I do all sorts of things. So. It, Awesome. It's a lot of fun. It must be like really, really rewarding, like doing that for people who are, like you said, they're they're stuck there, you know. And they, it's really some days are incredible, incredibly frustrating, and then some days, every once in a while, you like, you're just like hitting the mark. You're reaching the people for whatever reasons, and you feel like a million bucks. Right. Right. You don't have it in your pocket, but you feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, tell me, tell us, you know, uh, you have like an interesting history of people who have come through your studio. I mean, you've been doing this a very long time. Uh, Mixolydian has had not just the local talent, but it's had some big heavyweight stars. Can you share some of the people that have been through your studio, who you know, notoriety type people? Well, it's really weird because uh, I have a lot of musicians from the tri-state area, New- especially New York City and New- northern New Jersey, and maybe a few from New York State over the years come through. So it's really funny because I can almost go to any like venue to see some band that I probably know one of the musicians or more in the band right. <laughs> that have come through my doors. Um, so a lot of uh, local musicians over the decades and... Uh, a lot of stars. Let me see. I've worked with uh, Peter Gabriel, Mick Jagger, um, Billy Joel a couple times, Cindy Lauper, a lot of local bands, one called From Good Homes, which are pretty popular in this tri-state area. Another one I work a lot with is Railroad Earth. They're very big right now. They're playing all over the country. They right. just sold out Red Rocks for the third year in a row. They've been around, haven't they, a long time? Yeah, they're Railroad all old Earth? friends of yeah. mine. And yeah. they started by touring, and right. they just did a record with Warren Haynes. Uh-huh. They were doing a tour with him as we speak. Right. Uh, Red Rock, three years in a row, that's 9,200 seats. Wow, that's you know. fantastic. So, uh, But 
you know, the same thing with them. For them, the only way they can make money and get a living is they have to tour. Yeah. They record sales just aren't there they're not doing they're not helping anybody so. well that seems to be you know still the way to go people still love to get out and see a band live and you know be there and just touch the atmosphere and let's get their hope hands so around. yeah I I, mean, I, I I agree with that yeah but. because there's nothing else left I mean I mean the last time I looked was there was people like and I may be misquoting the numbers but I think last year that like nobody got over a million sales like the big oh, yeah. stars, I'm talking. Maybe Taylor Swift did. I think like two Beyonce years ago, the and, big, the biggest, you know, the biggest record was a. Uh, I forget who it was, but it was a million seller, slightly over a million sales. Yeah. Now, twenty years ago, that would have been a ho hum. We might drop you from the label. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. There's um a story. Boz Skaggs, I think you know that literally drove him away from the music business. I don't, I'm not sure where Boz is now, but he had said you know like he would turn in like a great year and and they. They frown at him like, "Well, you only sold two million records," and he's like, "What do you, you know? You want my blood?" And I think he finally just said, "You know, forget about it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just rethink my position here." Well, well back in the day, if you sold, if you were signed to a major label, and maybe you sold a hundred, two hundred thousand copies, you would be on the verge of being cut. Yeah, because right. you know they were looking for a lot more than that. Today, if you sold a hundred thousand, you'd be like, "We're keeping you." Yeah, <laughs> but well, the record company. Most of the record companies have merged into a big, you know, there's many, the independent record labels are hardly there. The big labels are hardly there. And the big labels are uh, make, probably making a lot of their money from um, their cat, their back catalogs yeah. rather than new records. Right. It seems so, like the big money makers are the streaming services. They're yeah. making all the money and giving the artists well, giving very nothing, little. Pretty, giving, yeah, pretty much nothing. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And if yeah. you're, you know, if you're in a band, they really... If you're lucky enough, like my friends in Railroad Earth, if you're lucky enough to have a big following, you can go on the road and tour. Right. And that's not that that's easy work. That's, you know, you have to be away from your family. You're traveling all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it, that every every job is hard. But, you know, at least you're, you could go out and make a living. But if you're an up-and-coming band, boy, it's hard because you're not getting signed by a label. Right. You know, and you got to put out your own records and you got to tour on your own real cheap and hopefully you can build the following. Yeah. And uh, that's it's almost like the old days. Yeah. Pre-1950. Hey, um, share with me, uh, how was it working with Peter Gabriel and uh, Jagger oh, and those guys? It was I mean, great. Peter Gabriel yeah. was, I had this thing in in the mid Early to mid '80s, I had to. I bought this thing. It was very expensive. It was called a Fairlight. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it was the earliest. Um, this is before MIDI came about, and it was the earliest uh, instrument that you could sample a sound. Like you could sample hitting a uh, a piece of wood, and you could sample it in a, in a key. It was a big computer with eight-inch floppy disks. I remember that. And yeah. then you could, uh, if you pitch, it was a pitched instrument. You could go up and down the keyboard and play it, so you it opened up the uh, a world of new possibilities and sound. Yeah. And Peter Gabriel had one in England, and he was very into it. And I had the only one in the New York area that was available for rent. Right. So when I got it, my first gig was Peter Gabriel. Somebody from Peter Gabriel's office called, and he was one of my idols. I love yeah. Genesis. Oh, he's amazing. So, yeah. and it was, at the session was at the Power Station. It was a very famous studio in New York, which is still there. It's now called Avatar. Right. One of the few big studios left standing in New York. So, I go into, I get there early, I set it up, and I'm sitting in the, uh, they have three different studios in the, uh, was a whole building in New York. 
and uh, he comes out of the elevator and I'm standing there. He comes right up to me and he's like meekly hands out his hand. He says, hi, I'm Peter. Yeah. And I felt like, hi, I'm an idiot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking, uh, it was really fun because he, he had a fair light too. So we were talking shop about the fair light and right. it was, uh, and at that session, I think Mick Jagger f- showed up, Adrian Ballou, um, it was produced by Niall Rogers. It was actually oh, a wow. song that Peter did for the movie Goons, Goonies 2 or Goons 2. One of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I always admired his, uh, you know, his ability to, to reach, you know, like he was just not afraid to take risks and just go for whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, he's just such an artistic soul, yeah. you know. He's still great today. He has I mean, a huge he's... studio in England called um, Real World. Uh-huh. And it's, a, uh, it's actually built, the ma- it's many studios but in a complex, but the main room is a 2,000 square foot control room with huge ceilings and all glass windows that go up 30 feet, and it's surrounded, it's like a, it's like a mill, so there's water all around it. It's amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and what he does is every, I think he still does it, every summer for two weeks, he brings in about 10 bands from all around the world. I mean, like, remote islands in the Pacific or some bands, but he brings in these fabulous musicians and the the thing is they all hang out together and make a record in those two weeks and they released on his label called Womad. Right. Which is incredible. Imagine all these great, great players from around the world hanging out, interacting for two weeks. It must be a, a fabulous thing to see. Yeah, yeah, I'll say. So so that was that was some experience. So now with two thousand fifteen with your studio for where you're at now, Don who are you looking for as clients? Like, what's the best client uh, to come to Mixolydian? Uh, anybody specific, or is it open to just anybody who has a project? Like, what's your favorite people to record? Um, well, I'll record. <laughs> I'll take anything that comes to the door. Right, because you do but, corporate as well. You know, no, well, corporate. the corporate is dried up. I mean, I, I rarely, rarely do corporate anymore. Right. Mainly, it's it's bands. Uh, a lot of these, a lot of my clients are old clients that I've, you know, that love working with me. Because right. um, my specialty is I work fast, I get great sounds, and I try to provide a real easygoing atmosphere to so the clients can do their thing. And, right. you know, you don't need any stress. You just want to, you know, relax and do the best you can. Right. So, uh, and I love doing it too. So uh, I get a lot of, uh, I get new clients. But it's you know the clients you know it's only enough to do it part time. I'm working I have on my days off or maybe some nights, so I'm not doing it full. There's not enough work to do it full time. Right? Are you still using your Studers? Which um, for anybody who doesn't know, the Studer is a 24 track uh, tape machine actually. And I saw the photos on your website, and it's like because I see a lot of people are coming back to vinyl. There's been this like resurgence of kids going out looking for vinyl and listening to it, you know, and like buying turntables again. So I think that's pretty cool. But do you have any reason to fire up the Studer anymore? Well, it- I, I I had a 24 track uh, two inch Studer A27, and then at one point for about six years, I also had an eight track two inch Studer, which I locked up with the 24 track. Now the the wider the track width, the better the sound. And right. this eight inch, this eight track two inch Studer was the best sounding machine I ever recorded on in my yeah. career. Yeah. But there's only one company in the world that makes tape anymore. It's a very environmentally unfriendly um, process, and it's also no nobody's using the analog because it costs like 
$300 to $400 for a reel of tape. Wow. And it's only good for 16 minutes. So Two I songs, sold, if you know, three, maybe. Three, three four songs, songs yeah, right, depending yeah. on the length. So I sold my two-inch machines about six years ago because nobody was using them. Nobody wanted to pay for the tape. Right. So they preferred to go Pro Tools. And Pro Tools has come a long way over the last 20 years. It does. It's a really good, almost everybody uses Pro Tools. Right. It's a great medium to record in. You can manipulate sound so much easier. Uh, what I do do is I have a half-inch two-track and a quarter-inch two-track. I have a Studer and an Atari. So when I mix, I mix through the tape. Okay. And put it back into the Pro Tools so it gets that analog feel because it does make a big difference. Yeah, it for sure. Yeah. So, so listen, just closing up here, I just want to know how. what's the best way for people to reach... Don Sternecker at Mixolydian Recording Studios. If you want vintage microphones, the experience of a lifetime. This man has it all. He's done it all. He's recorded people like you can't even imagine. We just kind of tipped the, uh, got to the tip of the iceberg with the people who have been through Don's studio. But getting people to reach out for you, what's the best way for them to reach Don at Mixolydian? Shall I give my number? Yes. Uh, it's 973-903-2812. And uh, if you're interested in recording, give me a call. You'll have a great time, and we'll make some nice music. Yes, absolutely. I can attest to that. I, Don actually was the one who was instrumental in starting my recording career so many years ago. And uh, had I not been wearing my tool belt and had wiring up his air conditioner <laughs> as an electrician's helper, uh, we would have never met. So I'm so happy we did. And Don, thank you so much for being part of Dharmic Evolution. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, wow. For me, that was a trip down memory lane. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, so many great memories um, through the years, working with Don, learning from him. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience and um, equipment like you can't believe. So if you have the opportunity to swing by and check it out. I'm your host, James Kevin O'Connor, singer, songwriter, audio video artist, and master storyteller. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Dharmic Evolution. I'll catch you on the socials. I'll see you from the stage. Let's do it.